Welcome to the 90 or Nothing podcast with hosts Paxton Pulford and Kylie Barnett. Well, g'day guys. It's great to have you all back. We sure hope you had a great weekend and a lovely Mother's Day. We were excited to announce our giveaway winner to Louise Flanagan. So congratulations to you and a big shout out to you. Well done. And thank you everyone for entering our competition. It was a great response. For this week's episode, guys, I managed to call up Jay Sharnock. Now, Jay's a horsebreaker and trainer from Bulladeel in New South Wales, and he's a pretty strong competitor in the Camp Draft Challenge and Stock Horse fields. He's been a great mate of mine, and it was just awesome to catch up with him on the phone. He has a bit of a different story, came from a non-horsey background, and then really shows us how addictive this horse game is as he got right into it and has become a huge success in the industry. Every time I get to catch up with Jay, we seem to have a good conversation, so we sure hope you enjoy this episode. And a big thank you to our sponsors, Camp Draft Training Online and Select Size. This interview has been proudly brought to you by Camp Draft Training Online. Make sure you duck over to their website, www.teamcto.com.au, and subscribe to get all the latest training videos from some of Australia's greatest Camp Draft trainers. These guys will seriously make a difference in your program. So remember guys, when sparing and jerking just ain't working, jump on www.teamcto.com.au. Hey Jay, how you going mate? Good to catch up with you. Yeah, good to see, good to hear from you too mate. How you been? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. We've just been poking around, doing the same old thing. How about you guys? How you been... Uh dealing with the whole pandemic what's been happening at home oh mate it's um it's been good it's been a bit refreshing actually like um yeah like we're we're a little bit quieter because most of the horses that we had in were competition horses um you know getting some ready for sydney royal and um the stock horse nationals uh for some age challenge events and in the draft um and yeah, and a few competition sort of camp draft horses, but because all the, you know, comps got called off quite early, we were actually at Gresford um, camp draft at the time. Uh, you know, a lot of those horses were, you know, at that point they could probably be, you know, go and have a spell anyway. Um, so yeah, that sort of quietened us down a little bit. Uh, but then we got a lot of people wanting to send a couple of breakers and, you know, young horses for some miles and just a bit of general training. So it's been really good. We've um, been enjoying a bit of time at home. We miss our camp drafting and going to events and seeing friends. But um, yeah, we, we're actually getting a few odd jobs done around home, which I think, you know, everyone sort of mentions and uh, you know, getting a bit of time for our own young horses that um, I keep putting on the back burner. So yeah, mate, it's it's been really good. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Have you um, obviously you got a little bit more time to spend on your own horses uh, sort of what do you got coming up through the ranks at the minute? Um, mate, at the moment we've got, um, oh, there's probably in the paddock there, there's, uh, I think there's seven or eight mares that uh, uh, I've kept to play with um, that are ranging from three to uh, five, six-year-old, rising six-year-old, I think a couple of them. And, you know, some of them have been broken in and had, you know, 10, 20 rides and, uh, you know, just get pulled in every now and then. And then, you know, some are, uh, had a bit more than that. A couple are, you know, ready to start on the mechanical cow and the bison. And, and uh, you know, there's a couple there ready for their first draft. So it's sort of, yeah, it's been pretty good to pull a few of those in. And, and most of them are, 
we've got a few heritage stock horse bred horses out there and then we've got some um crosses and some you know full blood quarter horses as well yeah right eh? oh so a bit of a mix yeah yeah a bit of a mix just to have a bit of a play and try a few different horses different breeds different um things out yeah right eh? now that sounds pretty good it sounds like you you're keeping busy enough through this whole ordeal hopefully um won't last too much longer and you can get back into it yeah fingers crossed mate yeah for sure and um i see you've been keeping yourself entertained i noticed you had a had to do the uh suicide awareness men's uh for men uh, the other day uh the, <laughs> the challenge there with the, the egg and the sugar the sugar looked like it went down a bit rough yeah mate yeah i think uh you know if anyone else is going to get in and have a go at that definitely don't use brown sugar or i don't know if it's called brown <laughs> sugar or natural sugar but whatever it is it was like uh it was like dry wheat bix and um like i said in that i sort of i saw all the the victorian camp drafters sort of getting into it and sharing it around and i was thinking it was only you know a matter of time till it came up this way and uh yeah and then thank you to my mate Dan Steers for giving me that it was something that I was you know going to try and stay away from but then uh you know how do you um how do you not do it when it's been done by all those guys and then you know when he tagged me with Pete and Briny uh the Comiskies and they've just uploaded it straight away Dan was straight on the phone to me and he's like have you done yours yet so I thought I I had to do it (laughs) no it was good it's a great thing good fun Oh, but, mate, um, I've got to say, you smat, you you absolutely smashed that day. <laughs> oh, mate, I think it was just a mind over matter thing, to be honest, you know? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Anyway. It wasn't as bad as what I thought. No. But um, anyway, let's uh, jump right on in, Jay, and, and tell us a bit about your background and, and sort of where, where, where'd you grow up? Mate, um, I grew up on the Central Coast, actually, so... I suppose from listening to, and I also know Warwick's Green, but listening to um, Waz's, uh, you know, iPod interview was, um, not iPod, <laughs> sorry, podcast interview. <laughs> um, yeah, it was it was good because uh, he grew up in a similar environment to I did and um, I'm a little bit older than, than uh, Warwick and I saw him around a lot of camp drafts and, you know, events as a younger kid and, um, yeah, so I grew up on the central coast down at a, a little area called Berkeleyvale, which is sort of near the entrance in Terrigal. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. And yeah, and uh, yeah, grew up in suburbia. So uh, none of my family background came from horses or, or anything like that. Um, I think the only one who had anything to do with horses was my grandfather, who, uh, you know, obviously back then he was born in early 1900s, had to use them for transport. So uh that's yeah, the right. only input input i had from that um but yeah so i grew up down there playing a whole range of different sports um yeah from a bit of football to uh water polo um and basically sort of fell into horses really right yeah so i suppose the way that happened was um oh, friend of friend of the family a lady uh that my parents knew she went out to this holiday farm out in the Blue Mountains called Hartley Farm, and it's at the bottom of Mount Victoria, you know, on the way out to Lithgow. Um, yep. Beautiful little area. And, yeah, she said uh, to mum and dad when I think I was about two or three, said, oh, you should bring Jay out to this place. You know, he'd really like it. So 
we, uh, mum and dad took me out there and they, they sort of enjoyed going out to this farm, you know, being, I suppose, city people going out to the yeah, country. So and what did they do? Yeah. Sorry to interrupt you, but what did, what did your parents do sort of thing? Um, well, dad, they were, they were both from Sydney. Uh, yep. and dad worked a range of different jobs over the years. Um, and yeah, mum, same thing. She was sort of from, um, you know, south of Sydney and, and yeah, same thing. She sort of grew up, um, down there and then worked in offices and, and that sort of thing for a few big companies in Sydney. So yeah, they, yep. they sort of came from a no horse background at all. Dad was, you know, right into his sports and, you know, played a lot of football and, and, uh, tennis and all that when he was younger and. Yeah, so this getting out to a farm was really, I think they really loved it just as much as I did. Um, and I suppose the way the horses came about was uh, there was a motorbike track there um, and you could take your own motorbike or you could you know, meet up with someone, you know, meet someone and have a go on theirs. Or there was also uh, some horses there for trail riding that, you know, they'd take out three trail rides a day. And we sort of joke about it a little bit that um, when dad wasn't there, guaranteed motorbike could break down. And, you know, mum thought, because I was a pretty I was a pretty busy kid running around the place and um, <laughs> mum just saw, oh, if the motorbike breaks down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, and, and mum just thought, well, if the motorbike breaks down, I don't know how to fix it. So... Uh, you know, a couple of those times she just took me down to this trail riding part and threw me on a horse and uh, sort of went from there. Basically, then one of the the workers there, Rob Sharp, who still shows a few stock horses, um, and his partner at the time, Rachel, were working there um, and they just sort of took me under their wing. I'd go down in the mornings and help them at the stables and probably get in their way more than anything else. But, um, you know, they were really good with me and eventually sort of offered to take me to camp drafts and pony club and a few different things like that. So, yeah, it was – that's sort of how I fell into horses, I suppose. So were you about like mid-teens here at this point? Um, at that point, I was probably just trail riding on the farm there with them. I was, I was probably uh, – I reckon – 11 or 12 um oh, okay yeah and then yeah and then well, i suppose then uh you know when it got to mid teens that's when they started to take me out to a few events and and uh you know show me a bit more and and i loved it and we used to you know we lived about three hours from that place and we used to go there once every couple of months and then i think because uh i was really enjoying it and it was probably keeping me out of trouble a little bit too as a kid, you know, on the coast. Um, yeah, mum was sort of nearly taking me out there, you know, three weekends of a month um, and, you know, sort of, yeah, really supported me with, the, you know, getting into the horses with uh, Rachel and Rob, yeah. So it was um, oh, awesome. a bit of a different way. Yeah, and eventually we ended up with a horse um, and he caused us, he was a racehorse straight off the track. Um, Oh, nice. And he gave yep. us a bit of trouble. Perfect. Yeah, yeah, just, you know, typical <laughs> non-horsey people just, oh, yeah, horses are like machines, just grab one and hop on the way you go. And uh, I think he put mum in hospital a few times and I came off him a fair few times. <laughs> and, um, we, we ended up sticking with that horse and he ended up a really good horse down the track. And I still remember the day that he died, the girl who bought him off me, it was sort of like her forever horse. And she rang me just as I was going into the um, – 
camp yard at Paradise Lagoons for the stallion final and she rang me and told me that he passed away. And I was like, oh, that sucked. You know, I was pretty upset about it. I was like, oh, you know, because I was just sitting there on, I think I was on just looking and I was thinking that's the horse that sort of started it all for me. So, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, you know, it's very easy to bag out the old thoroughbred, but in a lot of times, more often than not, you know, they, they're pretty good horses once you come around to them, aren't they? And, and certainly, I bet um, your one sh- showed you a lot. Yeah, yeah, mate. I think, um, you know, you look at a lot of the stock horse and even the quarter horse, they all go back to a bit of thoroughbred there somewhere. And um, I think, you know, that horse taught me a hell of a lot, definitely taught me how to how to ride um, because he did throw a lot of, lot of um, energy into things and but you know he ended up a good horse that I did a range of different disciplines on um, you know and and sort of did a bit of show riding and dressage and eventing and you know which I I hated at the time but I'm glad I've done it now and uh, you know I ended up playing um, A-grade polo cross on him and uh, yeah I just had a bunch of fun with him across the board and you know he was a pretty cool horse at the end of the day but um, yeah he was a bit of a dragon at the start of it though. (laughs) <laughs> no, a bit. But anyway, so you talk us through a bit. So you finished. Uh, you finished school. Are you going to uni? Are you doing a trade? Tell tell us from there. Where you're going from there? Yeah. Well, basically, you know, because we were always, you know, heading out to this horse place, and you know, we met friends. And over the years, while I was still at school, you know, toward in my sort of late teens, I was, um, you know, going out. Uh, West working on friends' properties and, you know, doing a bit of rouseabouting and doing a whole bunch of different stuff, um, you know, mustering and different things. I ended up um, at the time while I was at school, the last couple of years of school, I had the horse adjusted um, probably about 10 minutes from home but directly across the road, in a paddock across the road from school. So uh, I was playing a bit of polo cross at the time. Um, I used to, yeah, sort of ride to school or, you know, when I was, before I had my license, I was riding to school on the push bike with a polo cross racket and ball bouncing it the whole way and then, yeah, get to school and then as soon as school was finished, I was straight across the road and then onto this thoroughbred um, and burning around doing some stuff for polo cross. So as soon as I got my license, um, I, you know, I did a, a range of different things still. I was playing a bit of polo cross and uh, we ended up buying a stock horse and, you know, I broke him in um, and, yeah, I was just pretty much just feeling my way through a lot of things um, with as far as disciplines and stuff. And I was sort of fairly well set on the polo cross and I enjoyed it and played that, um, you know, with a lot of the lot of the big names that you hear now that are in the Australian team and that sort of thing. And I was going down that track. Uh did a bit of mounted games through um, sort of some pony club when I was a bit younger and they, there was a new association started with that that was a, a non-pony club association. So I sort of was doing a bit of that on the side and uh, basically as soon as I got my licence, um, because I'd only had a little bit of a go at camp drafting, um, I thought, well, now I can take myself to camp draft. So I, yeah, I loaded these couple of horses on the float and you know, I think the first car I had was an old Pajero, an 87 model Pajero and loaded it and nice swag in the back and away I went. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That, that's awesome. Yeah, no, it was good. It was, but, uh, it was good. 
Busy times back yeah, then right. trying to fit in, you know, a, a bit of, you know, I think we were playing a lot of sports and, you know, I was doing polo cross and then trying to go to camp drafts and then surfing and playing water polo for a rep team. And, yeah, it was um, busy times. But, yeah, when I look back at it, it was, it was good times, yeah. You certainly sound like you're one of them guys with a lot of energy. I feel like that uh, seems to be a common trait in these horse trainers. Yeah, I look... Sometimes I suppose we, we don't, but there are a lot of guys I know through the, the horse world that do have a lot of energy and I suppose there's a lot of people that can vouch for that when they've, um, you know, we've caught up and had a beer or something as well. So, yeah, but um, I think you've got to have that energy and that drive. <laughs> yeah, so fair enough. So you started doing a bit of polycross, introduced to the camp draft. Where did it go from there? Did you sort of want to start getting into training horses or did you have a different job or what happened there? Um, yeah, when I, when I started to go to a couple of camp drafts, I, you know, I finished school and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, you know, being on the coast, I thought, you know, what, what do I do? Do I go to uni or whatever? I ended up, um, I did 12 months working at a marina and, um, did a small business traineeship with that marina and outboard motor mechanics. And, you know, and I stuck that out. It was, I got to, got into it, didn't really love it, but I stuck that out to, you know, do the certificate and, and that sort of thing. And then, you know, still was taking off to horse events on the, you know, weekends. So um, I sort of had stopped most of my other sports by then and was just trying to go to camp drafts and, and events. And, you know, just, um, yeah, I, I didn't really know where to go. From there, I went to, uh, uni and started, you know, studying teaching. Um, All right. And studied, yeah, studied that in Newcastle and the same thing. Um, you know, by this time we'd sold the the place, you know, in suburbia on the central coast, and my folks wanted a bit of a change, and uh, they bought uh, the property here in Bulladilla. Um, and yeah, and that was sort of pretty good because I could still, I was, I found myself forever always coming back to horses um i went to uni there for a while and and same thing got into that for a few years and then just sort of got to a point where i thought I, you know i probably should have stuck that out but i got to a point where i was like i'm not interested in it at all um and then yeah just from there i went to i just needed a bit of a change and i, I went and i ended up getting a job working at the snowfields uh down in Jindabyne or down this, you know, snowy mountains. And, uh, yeah, it was yeah. really good fun, but I always just kept coming back to horses. And then my cousin got me a job on cruise ships. So I ended up, um, taking off for three to six months working on cruise ships sort of all over the, um, uh, Pacific ocean. And then same thing, kept coming home back to horses. And, and I ended up, uh, the whole training thing was, it, it wasn't really on my mind, but uh, what what I, I did sort of get into and, and studied right through was uh, equine dentistry. Um, right. And I, I, I probably practiced that for 12 to 15 years uh, full time. Um, even when I was still working on the cruise ships, I was sort of studying. And then as soon as I got off a ship, I'd go and, and you know, go back and do the next step of the course and then do some dentistry for some clients and then I'd end up back on a ship for a little while and just to keep money rolling in and yeah and it was good it was a bit of a change and something different 
So who did you learn the dentistry off or, or what sort of institution did you do that through? Um, basically, uh, worldwide, uh, worldwide equine dentistry, their, their base is sort of Idaho. And then they opened up a, a college here in, uh, through Ian Wharton in, um, in Gunnedah. And so, yeah, studied that course through those guys. Um, and the plan was to go to, to Idaho and, and, you know, do some more study there and, and whatever, but, um, yeah, I just kept finding it as soon as I started sort of, you know, we were able to go out and start working. I just found I was just really busy with dentistry and just so, you know, hooked in it. And, and um, yeah, just kept doing the dentistry and the money was great. And, you know, being a young guy, earning that money, traveling around, getting to visit your buddies and, you know, do their horse's teeth. And yeah, it was a really good job at the time. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, that's there yeah, for sure. I know like, you know, we've we've heard that, um, you know, a lot of similar people say that before, you know, like Link Bowman was on here and he was saying, you know, he used to get around uh, getting to all these great trainers shoeing their horses and, you know, Butsy was chiropracting their horses and uh, I guess you were going around to these trainers and doing their teeth. Yeah, yeah, it was a bit like that. It was, um, you know, you go, go certain places and I still do love dentistry and it's great to have that knowledge, um, you know, of and the anatomy knowledge behind it all as well, because uh, the dentistry is a huge, huge um, factor in in a horse and training horses. Um, so, yeah, it was good to go around and and start to meet a whole bunch of people in the industry and and you know talk to these guys and you'd turn up to certain people's places and they'd be training a horse and if you had a bit of time you'd sit there and watch and uh, you know I was always interested in the training side of it, but I just uh, I never. I suppose got into it um, full time because I, I was into the dentistry and I was really enthusiastic about the dentistry um, and enjoyed it. Um, the only reason I, I sort of stopped the dentistry was, uh, you know, it it allowed me to make some really good money and, and do some things here at home. But uh, you get to a point where you, you're forever traveling. You're always on the road. And I ended up purchasing a couple of horses and wanted to get into training them with a few things I'd learned over the years and, um, you know, from obviously meeting people in the horse industry and, and going to a few camp drafts. And, and I just found that I suppose it's a, in a way, when you look back at it, it's a bit of a silly thing, but I suppose I, um, yeah, got, got sick of the traveling cause I couldn't get my horses going that well. <laughs> I couldn't actually put the time into them. <laughs> so, yeah, one day, I think the other side of it was I was I had horses at home and I was taking a couple of horses on to break in and I had horses at home for people and, you know, I'd be home for a couple of weeks and I'd hook in and ride a bunch of horses and then uh, I forever was feeling like I was getting, I need to earn more money, so I was getting pulled away and to do the dentistry. So I'd go away and do a heap of dentistry, but as soon as I left the place, I'd be thinking about, I've got to get home and, you know, get those horses going. So it was sort of a, you're being pulled either way. And I just, I think um, after a while, just for your mental state, I just sort of said, okay, I've got to do one or the other. So I eventually cut the dentistry and, um, you know, just you put gave it out in. there to a couple of people that I was, <laughs> yeah, yeah, gave into that thing of, uh, you know, riding horses, which, like I said, from from that early age, it, it just always kept coming back 
um, even if I was overseas working somewhere and having a great time, I'd always be, you know, super keen to get home and, you know, ride a young horse that we'd bred or we'd, you know, that I'd bred or, tr- or had there ready to train or, or break in or whatever. So, yeah, and the dentistry yeah. ended up, you know, getting a second a side step to that as well. So, so it's, it's obviously just been a deep passion that sort of must have been inborn in, uh, born in you and it's it's definitely an expensive addiction but um yeah it's, it's certainly just a big passion for you it sounds anyway well I, yeah i think so mate it, it, i don't know what it is and you know some people say oh you're born with it or, or you're not but I, I think once you get horses into your blood and uh you it, it's hard to get them out um or, you know, to, to stay away from them. But I think the thing I love about them, and, and even with the sport that we mainly focus on now of camp drafting, I think the whole time, even when I was younger with sports, I, I did things for the challenge of it. It was always a challenge. Um, and, yeah, the thing I think with every horse, every horse is a new challenge or, you, you know, it is a new thing. You learn something new from them. So I uh, I definitely think it's it's the love of the animal, but it's the it's that whole thing of, uh, you know, learning more and, and trying to better yourself all the time. So, yeah, and, and, you know, you can do some amazing things with these animals and, you know, you'd know what it's like when you get that really cool feeling on a horse and it could be something so simple, but it did it so nice and correct and, yeah, you get a bit of a buzz out of it. So, yeah, definitely. Very addicting. But um, so uh, as you sort of progressed a bit and uh, you've, you've given into the horse training game, Sort of where did you travel after that? I know you sort of spent a bit of time up in Queensland. Talk talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, um, I think, I suppose with the, because I came from a, a background of, you know, no horses and, and uh, you know, a suburban block, there was a lot to learn. And um, once I got that, I suppose, the first the knowledge of it, and, you know, you still do, you, you always do, um, I just put myself in different situations to learn as much as I could. And, and, you know, I love competing. And so, you know, same thing, I started doing a bit of competition as well. And when I got around to competitions, as you know, you meet more people and the more people you meet, the more you get the chance to learn. Um, so there's a few things over the years that, that popped up that allowed me to meet uh, a range of different people, and even in different disciplines and, um, yeah, and go – eventually meet them and go to their places and learn or, um, you know, go to clinics or, or whatever. So I suppose as far as, you know, going to Queensland or, or where I went, there was a, a whole bunch of, of places and people that I, I sort of went and even if I only spent a day there with them, you know, learned something off them. And, you know, you have those little sayings in your head that they say that still pop up daily. And um, But, yeah, as far as going to Queensland, that just started um, – that just started – basically from uh, meeting Pete Comiskey at uh, Equitana one year down in Melbourne. Um, We got asked to be part of uh, what they called an all-star showcase clinic, which was on the opening night. And they uh, grabbed a few riders from different disciplines. And I hadn't, when I was younger, I competed for Australia in in the mounted games team over in Canada and and through Europe and a couple of places. Yeah, yeah, and uh, amount of games basically. It's not very big over here, but it's huge through Europe and the states. Um, and uh, it's sort of like 
sporting, but um, in a, a different way where some of the events you've got to vault on and off your horse, like you might have to, you know, go flat out up the field and jump off your horse and pick up a tennis ball. And while your horse is still cantering along, vault back on, hand it to the next rider. So it's sort of like a relay relay event. It's called Prince Philip Games, which um, the way it came about was uh, the while ever the, uh, you know, when battles back in the day were on with, with horse and rider, to keep uh, the horses fit and their skills at arms uh, handy, they used to do these games and that's sort of how they came about. So when you look at a lot of the mounted games events, they're actually, you know, there's jousting events and, um, and you know, sword and ring events and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, so I, I got asked to, um, I suppose, show that uh, in front of four and a half thousand people and do a bit of a talk on that in this um, showcase clinic, and which was, was great, except the only thing was by this time, I hadn't done any amount of games for about six or seven years, so I had to get fairly fit so I could vault <laughs> back on a horse and do all that sort of stuff again. Um, <laughs> after going around a few campgrounds and having a couple of beers, you put on a couple of kilos, so yeah, <laughs> to trim back up. And um, anyway, and when we got down there, I, I met, um, Ian Francis was part of it, so I met Ian, uh, Rob Hodgman, Pete Comiskey. Uh, there was the Olympic eventer, William Fox Pitt, um, Stefan Peters, an uh, Olympic dressage rider, um, Suzette Thomas, who's a, a top polar cross player from Western Australia, uh, and another girl who does some vaulting um, called Crystal Landers, and, and then myself, and we basically had to do a quick chat about our sport uh, and then we actually got into where we swapped horses and, um, you know, just showing that whether it's English or Western, you know, a lot of the aids are still quite similar and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, got into right. that yeah. and that's where I met. Yeah, got into that and it was a great night and very funny night. Um, a bit nerve-wracking in front of 4,500 people um, back then. But uh, I met, yeah, I met Pete and Briny there and after we had practices and we you know did a few things for the week we'd sort of meet at the bar and have a beer and uh, I just remember Pete offering me the um, chance like just said oh you know when you're ready grab a couple of horses and come up and we got chatting about things and he said oh, I'll come and do some dentistry and I was still I was doing dentistry sort of fairly full time at that time and um yeah, the first year I went up there was it was just amazing and a huge eye opener. But I was probably too nervous to take my horses. I just didn't think that they were up to scratch. You know, you see in the magazines all these you know top names and competitors, and uh, you know Pete said, "Oh, when you come up, we'll go to Paradise Lagoons." And so anyway, the first year I just drove up in my Hilux and and camped with a bunch of people and went and did. Uh, some horses teeth for Pete and, and Bryony and then for uh, Stevie, his brother, and then out to Sean and Sarah Dillons. And, uh, you know, just made some good friends. And, um, yeah, that was sort of, I think then I went back up there for about five years in a row and, um, you know, they probably got sick of me at some point, but it was a, a great learning experience. Um, you know, the next year I took horses and, and it just sort of is all history from there. I suppose that just really, uh, it boosted uh, my thirst for the knowledge of the sport. And, um, uh, you know, to go to paradise that first year without horses and sit there going, oh, no, I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough. And 
getting there and realizing that it's, um, you know, and you talk to other people and you hear this all the time. Oh yeah, we're not good enough for Warwick or, or whatever. And you know, it's, yes, it is a bigger draft, but it's just, it's the same people, but at a bigger draft and, you know, more people there. So, um, we all know there's a, a bit of luck in this sport too. So yeah, it's uh, one thing I say to people, you know, like I, I was thought I wasn't good enough. And then the next year I went there and for a couple of years was sort of lucky enough to get that bit of luck and make finals and get some places. And, um, but definitely going to Queensland was a, a huge thing. I look back at that really made me lift my game. I think as far as competing, because um, when you, you know, we're in that Hunter Valley area and you would know as good as I am in Tamworth, it's, um, You've got to be, got to be sort of good to be consistently up there, and some of the best competitors in this area. And then you get up there, and you've got the same, um, you know, and you know, if not better, on those faster running cattle. Yeah, for sure. So I'm just going to backtrack a little, but coming from obviously a non-horse background, and and you didn't really know a whole lot of people in the industry. You know, did did you find it tough to break those barriers to get into the industry and, and meet those people or you sort of, you know, didn't find that was too hard? Um, oh, look, yes, in a way, but no, in a way. Um, I think it was because I was younger, it was a bit nerve-wracking, you know, going to these places and not knowing where you were going and who you were, you know, meeting and, uh, and that sort of thing. Um, so there's probably that little bit of the breaking of the barrier, you know, a lot of, I think in your own head, being able to just walk up to people and talk to them and say g'day and, and that sort of thing. Um, you know, so it was a bit nerve wracking, but then in saying that everyone was really helpful. Um, everyone was, was, was great really. Um, so no matter where I went, whether, you know, even when I sort of got into the stock horse showing, no matter where I went, people were always willing to give a hand and, um, you know, offer advice or, or whatever. And there was the same uh, with going up there to, to Pete and Brian's. I still remember at Paradise the first year, Pete was introducing me to people and um, I think he thought that I'd been drafting and, doing things a bit longer than, than what I had. And because I was from New South Wales and, you know, I, we got talking about drafting and whatever, when we got to paradise, he's introducing me to all these people and Queenslanders. And um, then I remember a couple of times to a couple of guys from New South Wales, he's like, Oh, Jay, you'd know such and such, wouldn't you? And I was like, no. <laughs> so yeah. it was sort of, it was, yeah, I think he, and then he actually said to me one day, he goes, how long have you been drafting for? And I said, Oh, only a few years. And, um, yeah, so it was, uh, it was, yeah, it was really good. But you know, once you got to meet more people, yeah, everyone's everyone's really lovely, and and um, yeah, a lot of people, if you're willing to sit and listen, uh, are willing to share a bit of information and and help you out. Yeah, yeah, and that's cool. So, so then obviously uh, you learned a lot off uh, Pete Comiskey and Steve Comiskey. Who else did you sort of hang out with up there, or, or did you go and spend a bit of time with? Um, yeah, mate, I, I probably, before I went up there, I, uh, when I was doing the dentistry, so backtracking a bit, but when I was doing the dentistry, uh, I got the chance to go and spend a, a bit of time, a few months with Michael Wilson, um, right. who I'd always looked up to. Yeah. Just from, 
you know, I start, I, I, I saw, I purchased a young Colt off Joe and Lou Best. Um, I remember one day at the junior rodeos that they have over here and, uh, I, I had a couple of horses and I was sort of wanting to get into it a bit more. And, you know, I was reading, I was getting a, the stock horse magazine and in the ABCRA and I was reading about these Romeo horses and these cadet horses. And I remember catching up with them one day and I said, um, do you know where there's a, yeah, I've got a couple of, and I had some quarter horse mares, um, the Rockalina mare and, and so on. And I said, do you know where there's any, you know, good Romeo horses or um, Elliot's Creek Cadet horses or whatever? And Joe said to me, he said, oh, I happen to have one and it was a young colt. And he <laughs> said, he's too young to breed yet, but do you want to buy him? And I ended up buying him. And um, so long story short there, that got me into the stock horse showing inside of things um, because I thought I had a nice cult. I, I probably should learn to do this. Um, and yeah, basically from that, I saw a lot of Michael Wilson riding and I, I really, you know, I, I love watching him ride and seeing how good his horses worked. And so there was an opportunity. Um, I met him a couple of times and I saw there was an ad in the paper that said, uh, Michael Wilson looking for a worker, blah, blah, blah. And anyway, I, I saw it and I just went, oh, you know, I'm getting into my dentistry. I'll leave it alone. And anyway, I kept looking back at it and eventually I rang him and I just said, um, Michael, is there any chance, you know, that I can come and spend a little bit of time with you and then I'll take off and do some dentistry sort of in between. And um, yeah, he said, yeah, that'd be great. I said, look, until you get someone else full time or something. And, you know, I ended up spending a, a bit of time there. And uh, I think I stopped taking off and doing dentistry just because I loved working with him and uh, watching and, and you know, uh, learning as much as possible. So, um, yeah, as far as, uh, you know, people I spent time with, I sort of look back at that time. And I think that was a big turning point for me as well was um, – you know, I could hop on and ride a horse or whatever, but that just opened my eyes up to a lot of different things with, uh, you know, horsemanship and, and different aids and, and all that sort of stuff. And, um, yeah, that was a, that was a big influence. Um, and then from there, you know, a few years down the track, then going to um, the Comiskies was, was unbelievable. Um, and I find Pete's a, a pretty good teacher in the way of he, he always he's good at giving people confidence and even when you, you you know like I don't think I was up to scratch with a few things there um but he gives you the confidence to have a crack and have a go um and then yeah from there that's when everything sort of starts you know happening I think when you've got the confidence to try things and and you know get in and have a go um other than that, it, it's sort of just those guys that I've spent a bit of time with that everywhere I've gone along the way um, even out to Sean Dillon's and, you know, when I was at Stevie's, you, you could just be spending half an hour riding together doing something. And, you know, it's one thing I've always tried to do is watch and, and learn and, um, you know, and then if you didn't understand something, ask the question uh, without being that annoying person that asks a, a million and one questions. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I but probably a, a, the other couple of people that I loved was um, – you know, when I started, I think from Michael started to get into, uh, you know, Ian Francis a little bit. And then, you know, I ended up getting all Ian's DVDs and I went to a couple of clinics and, and then, you know, met him um, at Equitana. And, and that was a, a really cool thing, you know, sort of like meeting a rock star. Um, but, uh, you know, just even from having 
chats with him at clinics and stuff like you know he's just if i think a lot of those guys if you've got the time and the i suppose the uh, chance to listen you know sometimes they might speak in riddles but if you you know ian's got some good sayings and quotes but if you're um, clever enough to pick up on them they you know they make a lot of difference um but and the other guy who i i give take my hat off to as far as um a really good clinician um is Warren Backhouse. I think if you ever get the chance to go to one of Warren Backhouse's clinics there, he just explains things so well. And so, like I said, I think from Michael opening my mind up to, you know, a, a bit more of the, the Western, I suppose, disciplines and way of riding, uh, that just really sort of got me, you know, interested in, uh, you know, the, the cutting side of things and the reining side of things. And then, you know, now the Stockman's Challenge and, and all that sort of stuff. So... Yeah, there's there's been a lot of guys over the years that um, yeah, like I would I'd definitely go back to tomorrow for for help or uh, you know to to hang out with if I got the chance um, just to get a bit of a tune up off them. So then, built off those guys, did you sort of develop your own style, or have you sort of you know um, looked to be you know, similar to someone in particular or like how have you gone through that process? Because I know a lot of people struggle in building building their own sort of style. Yeah, mate, I think um, it's it's a good question that, and I think we've spoken on it before, but it's one, especially from coming from a, a non-horse training or horse riding background, uh, we go to those people for, you know, knowledge and, and also to learn, but also, you know, you watch them and you mimic them a little bit. And, um, yeah, I, I definitely think that um, I don't know if there's any anyone necessary that I, I, you know, try to have that style, but I think just over – I've learning off a whole bunch of different people over the years and with different things from breaking in right down to, you know, um, camp drafting and, and stock horse showing – I think you you just keep taking a little piece off everyone and, and then that sort of eventually turns into your own style. So, um, you know, there'll be things that I might do that, you know, uh, would reflect something that, um, you know, Stevie or Pete Comiskey does. And then there's things that, you know, that might reflect something that Michael Wilson does or whatever. Same, you know, probably through my training program more so. Um, but, yeah, I, I definitely think if you can take a little bit off everyone, um, then that that will make your own style, and and a lot of it is trial and trial and error, and you know, um, you you can go and try different things, and that doesn't work for you, and it's it's not worth um, getting upset about or whatever. It's just that that wasn't your style or your way of doing something, but then something else will work, and you know, so when you do have those moments where you're scratching your head and you're failing it in a way, don't necessarily get upset about it because. Um, you know, every time you fail, it's learning from your mistakes. So literally, I think it's like you can fail your way to success uh, in in one way, shape or form by, um, you know, something didn't work. Okay, we'll try something else and, you know, go on from there. So, uh, yeah, I think it's just that my my way or style of doing things is, is just a mix of uh, a bunch of different people. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. So, okay, now take us, so you've, you've done a bit of time up in Queensland and, 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 and whatever, and, and you've met a few people, sort of where'd you go from there? Did you 
did you head home to start training horses full time or what what sort of went from there yeah well while i was up there like i said i was doing some dentistry um you know and, and competing and having a ball and you know meeting a bunch of people and uh like i said being up there i remember i suppose lifting my game in camp drafting i remember the first draft i went to up there with uh pete and Bryony was uh at bowen river and i i had uh my my horse at the time effects larkham um the stallion and he was going pretty good and and i went to i think it was in the open and i uh, ran two 88s and i thought oh you know 288 yeah this would be great this will get me into the final you know coming from down here where you know at the time you could run a couple of 85s or an 83 and make the final or something and i was sort of pretty happy about that but then it was um it was 90 and up into the final and there was a whole bunch of them on 90 and up into the final and i was like oh, okay so that was a bit deflating but uh i remember sitting there watching and I'd never seen drafting like that. Those cattle at Bowen River, a beautiful, beautiful line of um, big white Brahmins that year. And and Max Shan was there on, on one more daddy. And I think he had two 91s and went into the final and ran a 91. And it wow. was, you know, it, it, was, it was just awesome watching that. Um, yeah, it was just unbelievable. And then, you know, there was a, a few other guys in there that were, you know, big names and, Anyway, and I think, um, yeah, that, that just opened my eyes that I had to lift my game a little bit more. But I remember Pete winning that draft on his old gelding response and uh, he needed a 94 to win it. And he, yeah, bugger me, went around and smashed this thing for a 94. And I was just like, I've never seen, you know, I'd never seen that many 91. So I was nearly falling off the fence. <laughs> and I remember yeah, saying, where did you get that from? But he just sort of strolled out like, oh, well, it just happened that way, you know. Um, yeah, so it, um, yeah, it was, it was a big, big thing for me to, to sort of lift my game with that, um, camp drafting up there, which I learned. So when I came back, uh, I just hooked into a heap of drafting here and, and then, you know, because I was doing dentistry up there, even after I stopped dentistry here, I still went up there for a few years and, and did dentistry for those guys. Cause it sort of paid for my trip, um, and my entry fees and everything like that. And <laughs> but when I came back home, it's <laughs> entry fees at Paradise and everything. Now there's drafts that are even more expensive. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, it, when I came home, I had a bit of success um, with a couple of horses and, and that sort of led me into people asking me to, you know, break in a few and train a few. But we had a lot of breakers more so than competition horses. Um, for a while and then over the years it's sort of switched around the other way where we've only got a few breakers and, and more trainers or competition horses um you know which we like i said we do a bit of showing and challenging and, and mainly camp drafting now though um but i suppose from there when i got back here and i was doing quite a lot of that uh double dance were living just down the road from me and i ran into them at a few events and um ended up becoming pretty good mates with um Dan Steers and uh from there yeah we we caught up a few times and rode together a few times and um that led us into I suppose a long story short um eventually going to the states with Dan and, and having a good time over there doing a couple of um cult starting competitions and uh sorry not competitions uh demos 
that Dan James couldn't make it to. So yeah, it's it's been been a pretty cool roller coaster ride along the way. You know, when you th- sit back and think about all these different uh, things and people that you've met, but um, yeah, being able to you know hang out with those guys and you know and then learn a bit off off Dan's as well um, along the way. Yeah. For sure. Well, talk to us a bit about the states. Sort of, uh, how long did you go? Over there, or where did you go to over in the states? Um, when when we went over there, we flew into. I think it was it was when they first opened up the flights from Sydney to it might have been Dallas. Um, it was a fifteen hour flight, and uh, yeah, we got over there and we we're pretty jet lagged. But the whole time it was, you know. Dan and I just joking around as we do and, and uh, we got into Dallas and we had a bit of fun for a few days and and uh, checked out the sites and that sort of thing but then um, while we were there we, we caught up with uh, Dan James he was doing the the first uh, Mustang Millionaire or Mustang Millions I think it was called or Mustang Millionaire anyway uh, so we rolled into there and uh, you know met with James and and hanging out and you know chatting to a few people and and uh seeing a few things and you know meeting some of the guys there that um was just amazing because there was if that Mustang millionaire it's you sort of think like over here you think oh yeah Brumbies why would you want to be riding your Brumbies but you get over there and you've got some top level rainers and cutters and and you know rain cow horse guys and and you know and then your your entertainment guys like Dan James all in this um, competition, I suppose it's, you know, cause it's for a million dollars, but um, yeah. So we, we hung out there and probably the funniest part about that, which uh, when we got there was the double dance had a, a stand in the um, trades trade part of, of that show. And Dan James said, Oh, we've got some new girls up at the trade stand. He said, you know, just go up and see if they, you know, see if they recognize you or see if, um, you know, just see what they're doing because they're new, you know, we just want to make sure they're doing things right. And yeah. anyway, we, we get up in there and Dan Steers and I walk up in there and, and we're standing there. And anyway, we walk in, we said, Hey girls, how are you? And they're like, Oh, hi, how are you? And chatting away. And, you know, we start looking at things and these girls are sort of looking at us a bit funny, a bit coy. And, and, uh, anyway, Dan, so Dan says, Oh, girls, can you tell me about what's in this DVD? And and you know, one comes over and she's like, oh, and she's a bit shy, and she goes, oh, uh, a bit of groundwork, I think, and a bit of this and a bit of that. And anyway, so we ask them a few questions, and then one of them turns around to me, I think, it's, and she said, uh, uh, I can't remember how it came about, and and like, there's literally photos of Dan Steers all around this this thing, and then she turns around <laughs> to me, these couple of girls, and they say, they say to me, they're like. Are you Dan Steers? <laughs> so Dan, Dan was a little, that that actually happened to us quite a bit over the years, and uh, at, even at Equitana, people asking you to sign Dan Steers' autograph. So, um, yeah, well, you can take that as a compliment. Pretty, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's it. But uh, it just just made for you know just loosen the the uh, trip and made it a, a really good time. And um, yeah, we're sort of a bit like that when we get together. We act like brothers anyway, but. Um, yeah, um, it, from there we travelled around. Uh, we had to do this um, this cult starting demonstration at a, a big state fair up in um, Washington State at a place called Yakima. 
Um, so we got to yep. go up there and, you know, met a lot of people and, um, but a really cool place that we got to go to and, you know, spend a bit of time watching, um, Paul Hansmer work was, I think it was Circle H Ranch, um, and down near Fort Worth in Texas. And, and, uh, I knew, um, uh, Hayden Upton was working out of there and I, you know, knew Hayden from a couple of drafts, but he couldn't be there this day. And, and uh, young Nick Horn was working for him at the time. So you rang Nick and we drove down there and we, you know, had a look at their setup and we, you know, watched Paul for quite a while and had a yarn to him. And uh, it was really cool to see, you know, this top level cutting trainer working horses and, you know, how he went about it. And, um, you know, and then that, that was where I, metallic cat had sort of first you know was sort of starting to get a bit of a name and i remember seeing this uh, metallic cat filly there and she was just absolutely stunning and i think um uh hayden had pin hooked her like bought her as a yearling and was training her for the two-year-old sales and i think he bought her for something like ninety thousand, and then sold her for you know a few hundred grand uh, at those wow. sales, uh, I can't remember her name, but yeah, like it, it's a big deal that that two-year-old training over there. Um, yeah, so it was just a big, same thing, you know, go somewhere new, meet new people, and um, just a huge eye opener. Yeah, for sure. So then, all right. So then you came back home, and and you've always been a pretty, um, you know, had the stock horse as a strong influence in in your life, and you had, um, you know, FX Larkham first. And um, your stallion, and then you've sort of you've you've got two ripping stallions at the moment. Um, Struan Parks just looking, and Struan Parks just a moment. Tell us a bit about them and and sort of how they came into your life. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, like with Effects Larkham, I basically bought him as a thirteen month old colt, and, and um, off Joe and Lou Best, and you know I was playing polo cross and drafting and doing everything else at the time, and um, you know running around the all over the place and uh they sort of kept pushing me to show this horse they took him to a couple of shows as a yearling and, and he went pretty well and um just in the leads and uh anyway I ended up um yeah because joe and lou are like sort of second parents to me um over the years i i sort of took on what they had to say and uh broke him in and and did my thing with him and um ended up yeah, doing quite well with them at national level and royal level and, um, you know, got a few ribbons here and there and started drafting him um, and, yeah, ended up uh, getting pretty high up in some point scores for ABCRA on him and, and one year got um, ASH ABCRA Maiden Horse of the Year with him um, and he had a pretty big injury and so he sort of had to pull him out right at the end of that. But um, the way the other boys sort of came about I think was that following year and, and I think um, well with just looking anyway uh, because of uh, Larkin was going around pretty pretty good and pretty handy at the time I got a few horses in uh, from different clients to train and I was going to the stock horse nationals and showing with them and um, yeah just this one day uh, one of the or part owner in just looking I think I was sitting there going, I'm bummed. I don't have an open horse because Larkin was out. And, um, you know, I was just thinking about these young ones coming along and I just got this phone call um, asking if I would take a few horses for training. And I said, yeah, no worries. And uh, then a few days later, her sister rang me and I, I was 
sitting there thinking, okay, these horses are turning up the next few days. And uh, then her sister rang and, and said, um, uh, when do you want just looking? And I said, excuse me. And I'd seen him <laughs> at a few events and, and uh, you know, Matt Holtz had him and I'd seen him at a few events and I said, uh, I don't know what you're talking about. And she said, oh, my sister rang you asking if you'd take a few horses for us. And I actually at the time um, – didn't have much of a setup and and you know I sort of could only hold the well I have the one stallion here at the time so I was like oh I said oh look can I have a think about it and leave it with me and and that's all I really knew about the whole thing so I quickly got off the phone and went okay I need to build some more yards and do this and do that and if I'm <laughs> going to go that way and which is the way I, I went so it was just a bit of a you know off the cuff um I suppose you could say or just a random thing and and then um yeah that that forced me to build more yards and and do everything that we have done over the years here and um yeah I think now at some points we've got about seven or I think last year at one point we had 11 stallions here um so we've got a good enough setup now to hold a few that um wow but, uh, that's yeah, enough so, yeah yeah it is it is, <laughs> it is. um <laughs> but yeah we ended up with um ended up with him just turning up here randomly and I, you know, didn't know really anything about the, like the horse, except that Matt had him and he, and he was a good horse. And then since then, yeah, just found out how great a horse he is and um, yeah, across the board. And, and then from there, that sort of led into a good relationship with his owner, Leslie Smith, who she's then since bred a few more by him and then sent them over to this, to us to, um, break in and train and then compete and then sell on and um, which we've done over the years with a few of them and there's a few of them out there in the uh, stock horse world and in the challenge arenas and and that and even now the campcraft arena going quite well um, that's how basically how just a moment started um, here was he just came here as a two-year-old to be broken in and trained and um, yeah I just found he was a lot like his father um, just looking as far as I know was sort of started down in Victoria by the Porters and, and they did a bit of dressage and um, showing with him. And then, you know, after a while from there, um, I remember talking to Michael Wilson about him one day and he said he, he was at a clinic and, you know, and, and had good things to say about him. And then uh, and then Matt had him and Matt did very well with him and, and um, won two open challenges at the Stockhorse Nationals with him, Derby Open Challenge, which is a hotly contested thing but it just shows his versatility um and i think uh nearly every year bar one after that one or two he's sort of placed in the top five to top ten of that um and he's an open camp draft horse so yeah he's just a cool big horse and and just a moment his son's sort of showing the same traits um and with him he was eventually to sell and i just fell in love with him and um yeah leslie said one day she said i think we'll sell um, we call him Nelson. She said, I think we'll sell Nelson. And I said, no, nah, he won't be going too far. So, um, yeah, he sort of stayed here. And, and yeah, that's um, that's sort of how I came about those two. It was just a very random random thing. Same with, a, I suppose, a few other horses that have turned up here over the years. Yeah, as all, as all good ones to come like that. But it just does, it shows their versatility. Um, you know, the stock horse, they, they are incredible. They just... You know they they can lend a hand at just about anything you ask of them, really, can't they? 
Yeah, I think, um, you know, they're definitely a, a very good horse. I think, you know, when you talk about the stock horse and the quarter horse, um, they're both great horses. They both, you know, got their got their place. And, and I think they're both, you know, are very versatile horses in, in roundabout ways if you want to have a bit of fun across a few different um, areas with them. Um, but I think at the end of the day, the you know, they've got to have the right mind and the right... Um, you know, they've got to be trainable and, and that sort of thing. So, you know, you can have the most athletic horse without the mind um, and you're not going to get the job done. You can have a horse that's not as athletic but with a really cool mind and you will get the job done. Um, yeah, so that yeah, mind well, and that want is a big thing. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. Well, talk to us a little bit about the mind versus athlete sort of, you know, obviously some are more gifted than others, but, you know, even in your training process, are you sort of, working through that mind to get the best out of the athlete or yeah what sort of process you do to get that out of them yeah look i think um you know it's it's a bit the same as people you can have someone who's built to be an amazing runner but if they don't want to run or they um you know don't have the the want to do it and they um and that that trainable mind that allows them to get get things right to be a successful runner, then you've got nothing. So I think with um with the with the horses, you know, I've heard in a lot of these other podcasts as well, you know, talking about similar things is is uh you know there's certain bloodlines and certain breed uh, you know breeding within the stock horse and even the quarter horse that they mature a bit later and, and certain things, so they could be a better horse later down the track and summer a bit better earlier earlier on um and then you know end up good horses as well so i think that as far as um as training them i think you've you need to know what you want out of that horse um have a have a clear image in your head on what that horse what you want that horse to be and, and what it's going to be down the track and then you know basically slowly move forward towards that any any bits that it does that doesn't suit whether it's going to be a camp draft horse or a show horse or whatever you sort of need to chip them off and um you know but it's all all slow and steady and and allowing the horse to to learn and be confident through it and then if you can get confidence in a horse you you've sort of got everything so as far as having the athlete if you've got a confident athlete um and obviously to have that confidence they've they've got that you know you've done the right thing with their mind you've got a really good animal underneath you yeah for sure now well um moving on a bit jay um what what was some of your career highlights so far i know you had um a pretty good moment at the sydney royal um your world series camp draft there but um talk to us a little bit about some of the career highlights you've had so far yeah um Mate, look, to me, I suppose everything, every time that you do well is is a is a highlight, I suppose, um, just coming from a background. Um, so, you know, is, when I look back at a few things that I've done, I, I was thinking about this the other day. Someone mentioned something about a run I had on just looking at, um, I think it was Tiringham draft uh, last year or the yeah, I think it was last year. And it's only a little camp draft, but just the feeling from that run, um, you know, the horse had a beautiful camp. Uh, we had really nice camp. I think we had 23 camp, smoked the first peg, smoked the second. But going to the gate, I don't know why, but the beast actually jumped into the inside gate peg and knocked it over. So it only left me with a, <laughs> an 87. 
Um, but I remember yep. Rob Leach saying to me, he said, that was the run we were chasing if that didn't happen. And, you know, and, and Rob and Kylie um, Barnett, they, I think they had a runoff for first place three times, like, and they both had 90s. And, um, you know, I just remember that run. And, and even though it didn't pull off, that was, it was still a really cool feeling. And, and you know, I, I suppose in a way, a bit of a highlight, but, um, yeah, look, highlights for me have been placing in uh, futurities and maturities at the Stockhorse Nationals um, and even Paradise Lagoons. I remember my first year up there placing in the Stallion Draft, placing there in the Stallion Draft the following year. Um, and a huge highlight I got a big rush out of was my first year at um, Warwick. Uh, I went up there with a really, really cool horse, um, Urana Copper Acres, um, and, and the others, and just got lucky with him and had a 91 in the first round of the Stallion draft. And in the final, um, it was my first year at Warwick, you know, going back to that whole thing, I didn't think I was good enough to go. Um, then, yeah, went out and, and had top score in the first round of the Stallion draft. And in the final, beautiful yard, beautiful first peg, and, and then the beast going around the second peg, I think. Still watch that, and I don't know if I changed a bit too early, but um, uh, the beast basically looked at, got around the peg and looked at the bar and then sucked back and came round, and we ended up, four, I think, equal fourth, fifth, sixth there. Um, you know, so no no massive wins as such, but to me, from from where I'm from, like, uh, you know, it, they're all huge highlights. And Sydney Royal was, uh, that was a, a bit of a bucket list thing. Um, I remember going there as a kid, and, you know, not really into horses. Like I think at the time it was just going to that farm and trail riding and um, being there with my mum and, and some friends and watching, I think at the time it was John Stanton and Bobby Palmer and, you know, a few of those guys drafting at the old Sydney showground. And it just looked awesome. And I said, oh, I want to do that one day. And uh, I remember, you know, mum going sort of, you know, like a parent would like, Oh yeah, son. Yeah, you can do that one day. Ha ha ha. You know, muttering under a breath, like you know, <laughs> if that's going to happen. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, eventually over the years, just things fell into place, and I put myself in those situations um, to learn. And, and you know, then having uh, that year, uh, I think we, you know, we had a few pretty good horses under me that allowed me to get the points um, to to get selected to go to Sydney. Um, and yeah, that first time walking out, I've, you know, I've been to Sydney competing in the show, the stock or show stuff and, and whatever, but uh, to walk out there in there, um, in that arena for the camp draft was, you know, just really stuck into my head as far as when I first saw it, which was at Sydney Royal and, and uh, yeah, where I was, how I wanted to do it. And, you know, I got to that spot. So, yeah, once I started camp drafting, even then I was sort of a bit older and I was like, oh, I'd love to do that one day, but I'll probably never, you know, never get there or never do it. And eventually I just kept working towards it. And as it got closer and closer, sort of in reach, I sort of went, okay, well, let's keep going harder at it. Yeah, that's awesome. No, it was certainly um, a good moment. But um, well, what about, moving a little bit along, what's sort of the ultimate, like what would be something you'd you'd really like to win? You know, bar, bar Willinga, because it's $100,000. <laughs> what's, yeah, what's the next well, best? <laughs> oh, well, mate, it, I hadn't been to Willinga yet. I, I entered the first year and then, you know, I went, oh, no, nah, I won't go. And anyway, and 
this year we were we were keen to go. We had everything. The horses were running nicely, and I thought we'll go down there and have a bit of a crack, as everyone does, and see if we get lucky. Um, but yeah, look, definitely we linger. Everyone sort of says that. Um, but yeah, I suppose moving forward. Um, yeah, look, I suppose every camp drafter wants to try and win Warwick or, or you know, at least do well there. Um, you know, once you get the taste for it, you, you want to keep going back. But I think, um, yeah, to, to go back to Warwick and do well, it'd be really cool. Um, and, oh, look, there's, I've, I've never been, to, I've been to Chinchilla. I've never been to Condamine. Um, I'd like to go up there and, and do that sort of run. Um, so, yeah, but I think the other thing is to, you know, and I mean, I heard Wyatt mention it as well. You know, it's going to be fairly hot, hotly contested over the next however many years as it is every year. But, you know, Sydney Royal for us down this way is it, it's just a really good fun um, event and, you know, with some really good people. And I'd really like to sort of try and, and get there um, or get there again one day and then try and have a crack at that. Um, it's definitely pretty nerve wracking the first year that you're there. Um, but yeah, that, that'd be something I'd like to tick off. And as far as uh, everything else, you know, my main thing is as long as the horses are going well and, and uh, you know, we're getting to a few events and we get a bit of success here and there, that's all you can ask for really. Um, yeah, and if you, uh, yeah. Eventually, if you keep going, if your horses are going right and, you know, you get a bit of luck on your side, you know, the things will sort of fall into place at some point and then, you you know, if you get everything there, then you just make it happen. Yeah, for sure. Is there is there a certain bit of advice or a certain thing that sort of stood out to you, you know, along your sort of, you know, your journey so far that, that has really stuck with you that, you know, that has probably helped you a lot in your sort of, you know, developmental stages? Um, yeah, I... I sort of explained this a lot, um, uh, this main thing, because I thought you would ask something like this. Um, <laughs> you know, when I when I go and do some clinics or, or whatever, like down here, helping some people getting into the sport and, you know, other people that, that are already doing the sport. But I think a big thing is, you know, a trainer's got to have a, a basically an end result um, of the horse they want at the end of that, that um end of the training so then you've got something that you're training for um as well as not just training for an event but but knowing what you want that horse to be at the end of your training and i remember ian francis saying this to me at a clinic um you know telling a bit of a story and and uh he talks about a wooden indian and he said uh, him and a buddy were traveling up through montana i think he said they were and they pulled up at a, a little truck stop road stop um and they you know hopped out and walked in and and right next to the door was this huge you know intricately carved wooden indian and anyway he walked inside to this you know old cowboy behind the counter and he said who's who's wooden indians at and he said oh it's mine and he said okay well you know that's awesome he said it looks really good how how did you make it and the guy who owned it and made it said well, it's simple. He said, you just grab a bit of wood and cut all the bits away that don't look like a wooden Indian. And, <laughs> you know, and Ian, Ian sort of looked at me. He was like, it, you know, he said, well, that was the most simple, easy, easy answer. And, but that sort of stuff, I think when you're dealing with some of those guys, you know, they, they might like, that's a little riddle, I suppose. But, um, 
you know, in a way I've, I've looked at a lot of when I'm training a horse as, uh, you know, do I want it to be an all rounder? Do I want it to be a camp draft horse? Do I want it to be a show horse or a challenge horse or, or whatever? And, um, that really sticks out to me that, you know, when you're training a horse, if it's doing, you know, right through the process from breaking in on, you need to know which direction you're going to go with that horse. So then you, you, as you're going along, if you think about getting that piece of wood, you know, the first, first cuts that you make are, you know, big chunks in trying to get the shape that you want. And, you know, from there, as you keep um, developing through your program, um, I think yeah, that that wooden Indian, as it starts taking shape, you get right down to those finer details. And, you know, as you would know, when you sort of get further along, and, and I remember Michael saying this to me one time, you know, you get to a point where the the smallest changes or the smallest, uh, you know, things that you've got to fix make such a huge difference. And, and I think that's very much like that wooden Indian. You get to that point where, you've done your big saw cuts and you start using smaller, finer tools to get very intricate and get very detailed and um, fine tuned, I suppose. Um, yeah. So that, that to me, if I were to, you know, help anyone out is, is, is have that wooden Indian in mind, whether it be a cutting horse or a camp draft horse or whatever um, is, you know, have, have what your, what your, you know, wooden Indian is in mind. Um, yeah. Just so you, you've got something to work towards. Yeah, for sure. Uh, that's a good analogy. Um, is there is there what's sort of on the horizon for you guys at home? Are you sort of, you know, are you happy with what what you're still doing now? Are you going to change things up, or are you, are you looking to do different disciplines, or or what's sort of happening at home now? Um, yeah, mate, we're we're you know, I suppose at the moment while this is all still going, we're we're doing a few improvements. Um, I've got to do a little bit of work um on my arena to get it up to scratch and then we're you know, uh hopefully by the end of the year we'll be running a few um clinics out of home, um and even maybe some competitions at some point. Um but yeah, we we're, we're just sort of I suppose yeah, poking along with our young ones here and we'll start and uh, bring the competition horses back in soon, hoping all this lifts and and then, yeah, just um, get back out competing again and, and as far as competing, yeah, probably doing the same thing from, um, you know, mainly camp drafting but, you know, a bit of stock horse showing and, um, yeah, some challenging. I'd like to get in and do some more challenges. I've, you know, done a few and it's great fun. Um even have a crack at the, you know, probably the snaffle bit rain cow horse stuff. Um, yeah. And yep. yeah, yeah, just, and, you know, go from there. And plus, you know, even, even get into, I've had a little bit of a go at cutting along the way and I'd like to have a bit more of a go at that. I've got some, um, you know, good mates that are cutting trainers and stuff. And so I just sort of, I think, um, yeah, I'd like to learn a bit more about that. And, and it's sort of a, a bit bit of stuff that I work on that it, you know I've learned along the way, which is which I do with my horses to sort of create that already. So, you know, maybe even snaffle bit futurity um, at some point. And yeah, I sp it's just one of those things. I, I just keep having a bit of a crack at this and that and whatever. And but you know, mainly those cow horse events and yeah, and probably like we said, a little bit of stock horse showing um, as well along the way. So yeah, but I'm keen to have a go at the rain cow horse. And, yeah. Yeah, no, it sounds good. Well, Jay, it's been um, it's been a great conversation, and and thanks for catching up with us over over the pandemic time and and over the phone. It's been good to do this. 
No worries, mate. Thank you very much. It's um, been a pleasure and, and, you know, thanks for asking me to be part of it because you guys are doing a great job and uh, it's, yeah, it's it's a good thing. I, You know, every time one of these comes up, I'll be out there riding a young horse or something. I have my phone in my pocket, my earphones in and I just, yeah, plug into you guys and, and zone out and just do my job. So it's um, it's great to sort of have you guys doing this sort of stuff and great to hear all these other trainers and their, their starts and their different things. No, we appreciate Jay. That, that's um, that's really kind of you. And yeah, no, it's a pleasure having you on. And and uh, we wish you the best for the rest of the year. And and um, hopefully we're back at it sooner than later. Yeah. So yeah. Thanks, mate. And um, yeah, it'd be good to see you somewhere. And you know, best of luck for you guys as well. Well, thanks, guys, for listening in to that interview with Jay Sharnock. And a big shout out to you, Jay. Thanks, mate, for coming on the show and and uh, having a great conversation with us. I always enjoy it. You know, I always like talking to Jay. He's extremely passionate and has has put a lot of thought into all his horses and, um, you know, going through the process. And I like that he sort of, he's figured out a lot on his own. I mean, he's worked for a few people and, and definitely learned a lot from other people, but he's gone out there and really done a lot by himself, which is um, something I think that's really good to see. Another thing that I think is pretty cool about Jay is that he's come from a non-horsey background and, you know, it just shows how addictive this sport and the horse game really is. So for anyone out there who's thinking they're spending too much time and money on their horses, uh, don't worry, you're not alone. We're all in the same basket there. Well, thank you all for listening in to this week's episode. We sure hope you enjoyed our interview. Be sure to stay tuned in as in the next coming weeks, we hope to catch up with a couple of guys from the United States. Righto, guys. Till next week, we'll catch you then. I man ties and suits don't ride in limousines. I wear these dirty cowboy boots, blue denims in my jeans. I smoke the dust, so buckle up, I ignite like kerosene. But at the end of the day, I earn my pay and a rambler man is seen. One shot, two shot, baby, let's ride this rodeo. I'm not a first-class citizen I know every backtrack out of here I'll outrun you if I can Feel the rush, the push and chub I'm like a flame almost a fire And if you're trying to work my buttons You've got a madman's dark desire One shot, two shot, baby Let's ride this rodeo Three shot, four, five, honey I'm a rebel Shop.